This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for November 6th, 2017. More than four years ago, the US Supreme Court struck down elements of the Voting Rights Act which had existed since 1965. In this episode, I'm talking to a journalist who specializes in reporting about what has since become known as the New Jim Crow Era. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, What matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On the line now, I have Barrett Holmes Pintner. He is an adjunct professor at the Department of Environmental Studies at the State University of New York uh, College of Environmental Science and Forestry, recently appointed. Congratulations, Barrett. He's also a journalist who writes for The Daily Beast and The Guardian. Um, Barrett, you're a black journalist and you have a perspective on the various laws that are sometimes being called uh, voter integrity laws that are passing in a lot of states around the United States. What's what do you think is driving this? So first, thanks for having me on. And um, so America is this interesting democracy where we have a long tradition of finding creative ways to getting uh, minorities off of the voting rolls. That's that's always been the case. You can go to the beginning of America where African-Americans weren't uh, technically people. Therefore, they didn't get uh, the vote, even though they're accounted towards representation mm-hmm. for southern states. Mm-hmm. Uh, Three know, fifths of a person. Exactly. So, uh, so then you can go into Reconstruction, and you know we have the Thirteenth, Fourteenth, and Fifteenth Amendment that was supposed to upend all of this and allow African Americans equal access to the voting rolls and and capabilities to participate and run for elected office and hold elected office. And next, you know, America had uh, like Ku Klux Klan and all these other uh, laws and things such as black codes that prevented African Americans from actually exercising their rights, uh, specifically, you know, the right to vote and, and hold office and many other things. And and then uh, there was this big era of Jim Crow, which basically just, you know, f- came up with, with poll taxes and literacy exams and all sorts of machinations to prevent African-Americans from voting, participating, holding office in our democracy. And now Jim Crow has ended, you know, and it, 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 Jim Crow is over, but there's still like a long precedent of finding ways to prevent minorities from voting to kind of keep uh, like a, a white-dominated political status quo. And it's, it's, a, it's a very bizarre thing in that there's some people that I'm, I'm pretty aware of that are aware that this is what they are doing, you know, like – For example? Uh, well, you could say, you know, the David Duke and, and, and anyone that are like – outwardly just uh, racist and that they want to have a democracy that only represents uh, white Americans. Sure, but David David Duke is a crackpot who doesn't really represent anybody and doesn't have uh, much political power. What what, uh, in effect can um, prevent the, the exercise of franchise by black people? Right. So, so that's the thing. Like David Duke is totally a crackpot, but you would say two years ago, 
he was a less mainstream crackpot. Like he didn't feel as though he had the it had the ear of the president. And so so there are definitely crackpots in the U.S. that uh, may have more influence now than they did years ago. That their rhetoric uh, feeds in, and then there I'd, I'd say that there are plenty of other people that don't really perceive that what they're trying to do concerning like uh, um, voter ID laws and things like that are purposely trying to oppress African-Americans. They may. I don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to judge what the person's motivations from the outside looking in. But when there's so many structures that incline people to do this, to keep a political status quo, which America has, then we have these these new uh, apparatuses coming in place that will... For, for example, give me, give me hard examples. Okay, so, so we'll go with Alabama. So Alabama uh, had a voter ID law. After the Voting Rights Act, uh, after preclearance and the Voting Rights Act was struck down, uh, are you familiar with preclearance? Yeah, so what essentially was since the 1960s, there was a rule that states could not introduce any laws that might compromise people's access to vote without first that law being approved by uh, by the uh, the by Congress I think and that was um, applied to states that had a bad record under the Jim Crow era yeah exactly exactly and so so when that was struck down the courts the Supreme Court said that we're past this era like we don't need preclearance they've shown that they don't need it anymore which you know I, I disagree with that assessment clearly but once that happened, all these voter uh, voter ID laws popped up, and and voter ID laws, and it I, it varies from state to state, but like in some states, you, it was okay to have uh, use a, a gun license ID mm-hmm. as the as for for voting, but like a student ID or uh, wouldn't be allowed, and like white voters predominantly would have gun license IDs, and minority voters. Uh, would be more inclined to have like uh, student IDs or something like that. But ho- hold on with that, Barrett. Th- that may well be true, but isn't it really true that what's happening here is that Republicans are more likely to have gun licenses and Democrats are more likely to be students? And what's happening, there may be a racial element to it, but what's really happening is that Republicans are trying to make it more difficult for Democrats to vote. They don't really care what color their skin is. Right. They, I, I'd say Republicans definitely want to make it harder for Democrats to vote. The the key thing right now is what the electorate looks like. Like the Republican Party, after Romney's loss, had a, a whole autopsy thing where they're going to try to figure out how they can reach out to more minority voters because if they don't make their party more diverse, they just won't be able to survive. Well, that that didn't work. So like Democratic voters right now are, are minority voters. So it's it's in, in the U.S. We're having this this interesting conversation about uh, political versus like uh, racial discrimination or, or racial like gerrymandering and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so yeah, the Republicans definitely are working to make it so that Democratic voters uh, can't, you know, get them out of office. But those Democratic voters are, for the most part, minority voters too. And so, like voter ID laws would be harming Democratic voters by harming minority voters. Mm-hmm. And and the Republican legislatures in all these states were instituting voter ID laws. Isn't, isn't there a simple way around this that for everybody to get a standardized ID? Because I don't think there's any state that doesn't allow you to vote with a driver's license. Oh, yeah. It, it would definitely make sense if there was a standard ID that every American 
had equal access to getting. And like, so like that, that's actually the dilemma for, so say, and this is the hypothetical, cause we haven't really had a standardized ID because there's really never been a goal in the U S of making sure that all Americans had equal access to the ID or whatever they needed to vote. You know, like that's a very new idea in the U S to do that. And so even if we implemented that idea, there's no like precedent that they would that America would find a way to ensure that everyone got this ID. Yeah, but you know, hang like, on, hang on. Realistically, um, it's never going to be the case that a driver's license is not sufficient ID. Right. I'm not saying that it, it wouldn't, but let's let's say you live in a, a really dense metropolitan place or a really rural environment, and you don't have a driver's license because you don't you don't need one as much. Those you know that that changes sure but when uh, i when I, when I was a student i didn't i didn't have a car i didn't need a, a driver's license but i got an id only driver's license i actually still have it and uh, that was sufficient for everything why is that you know that that's a fairly simple hurdle for everyone to jump so here you go let's go we'll go right back to alabama so alabama had the voter id law and they the, the way you would get your voter id is you would go to the dmv Mm-hmm. Just like just like you're going to get a driver's license, real simple. Doesn't seem like it'd be a big problem, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Well, what Alabama then did is the DMV locations in the minority parts of the states, mm-hmm. they just closed all of them. And so and so, what they would end up doing is there would be like a like a van, like a, a mobile DMV that would show up like for three hours a week during you know between like two and four, and you could go and get your ID then. And uh, and they just said that they had to cut all those DMVs because of budget cuts. You know, just we just we, you know the, the the state was losing money. We had to make some cuts, and these were the cuts we made. And so even in that scenario, getting something as simple as you know the ID hypothetically of getting an ID and letting everyone get the ID, Alabama found a way to make it so that selective people would have access to this ID, and it wouldn't be something that was universally accessible, and that could then get people off the voting rolls. And so. You know that that's the, those are the situations America's facing, and now Alabama is has uh, been taken to court for those actions. But the damage you could say has already been done because, you know, Al, you know Alabama wasn't going to go blue in 2016, but but still it it, it did some damage. Uh, okay, and uh, are there any other states that have done similar tricks? Oh yeah, there's there's a, a whole bunch of them. Alabama is one of the more egregious ones, but but Wisconsin so. So I could rattle off. There's a long list. Well, go, like, well, go for Wisconsin because that was really important in the in the last presidential election. So, so Wisconsin also introduced um, introduced voter ID, uh, which was a brand new thing. So everyone had to go through a new process to get uh, to be able to vote in Wisconsin. And if they thought that you were so, one thing that they'll they'll do for voter IDs is if your name matches someone who is a felon or whatever, then they will make it harder for you to get your ID. They won't be sure that you are actually eligible to vote. And so there's a purging of voting rolls that seems to be happening in a lot of these states that make people uh, less likely to get IDs or that the process of getting their ID is way harder than it needs to be. They have to bring like various forms of documentation and all sorts of stuff to repeatedly prove who they are. Mm -hmm. And so like Wisconsin was one of the many states that did things like that. Um, and and, and so Wisconsin, it should be said, was under a Republican uh, governor, uh, but was normally a blue state in terms of presidential elections. 
Yeah, Wisconsin is a very, uh, you could say it's a swing state. Like, you know, the they have a Republican governor, but he barely won the election. So they're they're very tight. That state can go either way. So mm-hmm. if you can find a way to disenfranchise, you know, a thousand Democratic voters here or there, that can definitely swing the state to go red instead of blue. And so just creating hurdles is really what's happening, where it's the process of becoming of, of, of being able to vote instead of it being one step uh, for one group of people or zero steps for one one group of people, it'll be like three, four steps for another group of people. And they're and, essentially, uh, as you see it, they're essentially hoping that a percentage of the voters will be put off at each step and uh, that that uh, when you have to take three or four steps, by the end of the fourth step, a percentage of voters will be uh, the the number of people eligible to vote will be reduced. Why is it though that those are more likely to be de- democratic voters or black voters, for that matter? Uh, the the so I, I guess the question is why are the black voters the ones targeted, or why are the black voters the ones that? Well, why are they? Tar- well, what I think is really interesting, Barrett, is why are they targetable? Oh well, you know, I, I'd I'd say. Every, you know, political elections, you know, in the U.S. and I'm guessing everywhere, they're very scientific to the point with your with your respective group. I'd say every group is getting targeted. Some might be getting favorable targeting, and you know, like this last election, they're they're delving into like the targeting that you know ad placement on Facebook was doing for this group and that group. So I'd say every group gets targeted regarding what their issues are or or, or whatnot. I'd say African Americans and Latinos are are especially targeted in ways to discourage voting, and mm-hmm. that what that's what make those makes those groups stick out for the the targeting. But all the groups get targeted quite severely throughout a presidential campaign, and you know local local campaign, you know congressional campaigns and things like that. And do you have any other states that that are on your top ten list of most egregious inhibitions to voting? Uh, so, you, frankly, you could just start looking at the former Confederate states. All have introduced some sort of uh, voter ID thing. North Carolina is a real big one. North Carolina, um, they were charged, found in the in the district courts, of targeting African Americans with surgical precision. That's a quote. Um, to uh, that was a quote from the judge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. To, yeah. To, Explain what went on there. So the the North Carolina state legislature they they did a, a whole bunch of things, but they were redrawing district uh, congressional district lines so that um, the the red districts, the Republican districts, would he, would hever would uh, favor heavily hever would favor heavily towards the Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, making it harder for them to lose uh, congressional districts. And so in doing that, you would target minority voters and redraw district lines so that minority voters would be uh, represented in like one big district that uh, is represented by one Democrat and not scattered along other districts where there would be Republican voters in there. But then there are other things like they would um, they would. Oh, here's another thing that's not part of voter ID. Mm -hmm. But uh, early voting is a very big thing for minority voters. Uh, A lot of minority voters and young voters. their their work schedule is not necessarily nine to five or whatever. And the idea of taking off work on election day to go vote 
is not uh, really that as feasible as it is for some other voters. Uh, so being able to show up to the polls like a week early, two weeks early, a month early is a really big deal. Obama did that in 2008 and got an unprecedented number of African-Americans to vote for him. So this past election, shutting, like uh, cutting uh, the duration for early voting was a big thing that happened in a lot of these states. And North Carolina was cut theirs uh, quite a bit, too. Uh, they also uh, they targeted young voters a lot in North Carolina, which also leaned Democrat. Uh, and so uh, there used to be a lot of polling places on college campuses. North Carolina is a state with like college campuses sprinkled all over the state mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and students um, usually stay in the state. North Carolina residents normally stay in the state for school because mm -hmm. uh, they have a pretty good uh, collegiate uh, system. Mm -hmm. uh, but they wouldn't let you vote. Uh, on campus anymore. And they, you'd have to go back to your home district to vote, uh, which would force these kids to drive home for, you know, two hours, three hours to, to cast one vote instead of being able to vote on campus. And if you cut down the time for early voting that you are now able to, to find the time within a busy academic schedule to go home, that impacts a lot of people. And so, uh, so North Carolina did a whole slew of things. And each state kind of had their own way of manipulating uh, the system to uh, to disenfranchise and, and negatively target the the Democratic voters, which were overwhelmingly minority that could, uh, imp, you know, could challenge Republican candidates. Uh, one thing about this, Barrett, um, I think you're probably correct. I'm, it's not a secret that Republicans, particularly in state legislatures, have gone to great lengths to see what sneaky ways they could um, put barriers in front of people who they thought were likely to be Democrats and discourage them from voting. That's well known. But isn't there a problem here that if the Democrats focus on this, and Lord knows the Democrats did way dirtier tricks back in the day when they were uh, in charge of, of some places to, to make sure that their guys got elected. But isn't there a danger that the Democrats are going to be so busy with sour grapes about the 2016 election that they will fail to move on? And sure, this can move the, you know, move the vote a point or two this way or that. And if something's an absolute swing state, yeah, maybe it could, it could, uh, swing a few votes in the electoral college. But the real point here is that huge numbers of white working class regular, ordinary workers swung away from the Democratic Party and w went to vote for uh, the Republicans and Donald Trump in particular. Isn't that what they should really be focusing on? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't think it is. Um, like, There's a lot of debate in the U.S. about how the white working class uh, went Republican in this election. Mm -hmm. uh, but, the, but the thing is, is like when you, you talk to these white working class voters, um, it's not an economic thing. You know, it seems as though there's, you know, if you say jobs, 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 that's, you know, that, that will appeal to, to the white working class, these, these, these Trump voters. But there was a real, a, a big surge in white tribalism. And they will, they will discuss how the Democrats. Yeah, sure. No, 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 there's no dispute about that. Economics right, right. Was, was one part of the, uh, part of the mix. And there right. were many other parts of that mix. Right, but, 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 but the, none of that will overcome the fact, and whatever you think about the presidential election, and 
Donald Trump won the Electoral College without actually winning, uh, uh, without winning the popular vote. But the Democrats were absolutely trounced in the Senate election and in the House election. And Democrats do absolutely horribly in governor elections and in, uh, state, uh, state houses all around the United States. Surely that's something they need to be focusing on. The reason that people who would be their natural base, the white working class, aren't voting for them in nearly the numbers they used to. Right. But but so that's the big thing. Like the Democrats in these elections that they, that they lost, I, I could see that a lot of them were blindsided by by the, the bubbling up of this uh, racial anxiety that was simmering in America during Obama's presidency. Mm-hmm. You know, that, I think that's what caught them by surprise. But but uh, the notion of identity politics, uh, like the Democrats weren't doing anything dangerous, per se, like. They were just empowering African-Americans and Latinos and other minorities to advance their voice and share their voice in America's democracy, which is something that our democracy has like silenced and, and, and suppressed for a very long time. By, by engaging their actual real base, like the, the progressive base in the U.S. during times where we haven't been like systematically racially oppressive like Jim Crow and whatnot, has always encompassed African-Americans, Latinos and uh and other minorities so like that's really a big aspect of the progressive base and if we act as though that's like some sort of tangential component something that can be ignored and we now need to shift focus to the the white working class mm-hmm. base of of the progressive movement now we're kind of just feeding into this uh this cycle that allows uh oppression and or ignoring the the pleas of of a large segment of America's population. And I, I think that would be uh, collectively the most dangerous thing for us to do. Um, do do you think, so- Barrett, that, that whatever the identity you're talking about, the focus that the left slash the Democrats in the US placed on identity politics, whether that's Latino, African-American, or whether that's some of the uh, newer um interest, shall we say, in uh, transsexuals or in uh, other minority sexual groups in particular. Do you think that that focus on identity politics came back and bit them on the ass because the biggest identity that's out there is white people and th- uh, that mobilized whites against them? No, I, I, I definitely would say that, you know, America's the majority of our population is, is, is white American. And so, yeah, there was definitely a backlash of white Americans uh, against the Democrats because the Democrats were encompassing the voices of all these different groups that made their their really diverse coalition. This is the coalition that brought Barack Obama, you know, won him the presidency two terms in a you know two times in a row. Sure, but that that coalition that won for Barack Obama included huge numbers of white people, and when right. when right. when you have playing almost on a loop protests where somebody's uh, screaming in somebody's face, you're a white male, as though that were, a, a, you know, an argument for or against something. Uh, that puts uh, white people on the other side of the fence, doesn't it? So I, it, it can and it can't. Like, I, I think the key thing you, you just mentioned is that white voters were a big part of Obama's election, too. Yeah. And so I don't think... Like Obama campaigned pretty, uh, you know, seriously for Hillary Clinton. The, the both of the Obamas were out there. They were appealing to their base, their base over the last uh, eight years. And so this idea that diversity 
um, and white voters can't coincide. I don't. I, I think Obama's proven that it can't happen. It's quite complicated. It's difficult. You need to have like a very astute politician to maintain that balance. And you could see Hillary Clinton. You know, she's you know she's not as talented of a politician as Barack Obama. You're really not going to find that many politicians as talented as Barack Obama that could that could sustain that balance as as he did for so long. And so the idea that um, that this this there's no precedent that these groups can work together. I don't that I don't see that that we already had that. We just need to make it so that uh, progressive candidates see and understand how to reach out to each one of these groups. Uh, you know, Obama was, you know, he grew up in the Midwest and, and plenty of the people that voted for him in the Midwest would talk about how when he went to Iowa or any of these states, he just seemed like a regular guy. He just like, they, they related to him. He's like one of the guys from their neighborhood. And like, you're, you're really not going to find a, a mixed race guy who was raised in Hawaii, but had parents from the Midwest and went to college in California and New York, you know, like he, his life experiences made it so that he could personally interact with all these different groups of people in America in a way that made them feel comfortable. And when you have a progressive base that's very diverse, having a politician that can do that becomes even more impactful. And if a politician can't reach out to one of those bases as as equally as they can to the other, next thing you know, they're going to have these discussions about these bases, like fighting and and arguing amongst themselves, and then it starts fracturing. And that's what we saw. But like. The base encompasses all of that. It's not excluding white people. Barrett Holmes Pittner, thank you very much for talking to me. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Never miss a show. Follow at Challenging O on Twitter and like Challenging Opinions on Facebook for updates on each show's contents. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on November 6th, 2017. I have links to Barrett's articles in the podcast notes that you can find on the website. And if you know someone who I should interview, maybe yourself, or if you have an idea of what other topics I should be covering on future shows, then please get in touch. I'd be really interested to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, there's one thing you can do that would really help other people to find it. Go to iTunes, give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O and follow Barrett Holmes Pittner at Barrett Pittner. And most importantly, subscribe to the show. You can use Google Play, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app or software. There's links and an RSS feed for all of that on the website. And if you don't use a podcast app or software, you can subscribe by email. Just enter your email address on the website, and each time a new show goes live, you'll get a simple email with a link to listen, and no spam at all, I promise. You can find all of that, or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. <laughs>